Amen. Praise the Lord. If you have your Bible this morning, would you turn over to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And once you're there, if you would stand for the reading of God's Word, uh, we are continuing on in this series, and this will lead us in through God willing into the new year also. And uh, the series is called Preparing for War. Last week we looked at Satan's last stand, and this morning the title is The Methodology of Satan. And Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to read from verse 10 just through to verse 12. So once you're there, if you would stand with me this morning, Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to read from verse 10, audibly all together, Ephesians 6 and 10, uh, through to verse 12. Let's read it together. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Lord, this morning we pray, Lord, that you would both anoint, Lord, the preaching and the hearing of your word. Lord, we pray for every pulpit, Lord, across this land where, Lord, a man would stand to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you would anoint him, that you would anoint your word, and that you would give your people ears to hear. Lord, this morning, speak to us afresh, and that your name would be glorified. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take our seats together. There's a final uh, word here from the Apostle Paul. Finally, my brethren speaking to the church of Jesus Christ, speaking to you and to me, that we're to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. We hear a lot over the years concerning spiritual warfare, and it's a term that's so easily used, like there's a lot of terms or cliches that are used in the church today, and the significance of them are always are sometimes lost because we become so familiar with them. But we are in a time, a spiritual battle, a warfare that has not been seen before. There is a battle that is truly on in these days. Sadly, there are many believers that are completely, either intentionally or ignorantly, they are asleep to the period of the time in which we are now living in. This time is talked about extensively in Scripture perilous times when good will become evil and evil will be good and so forth. You're well familiar with the prophecies concerning the last of the last days. But what manifests in those times will be an unrestrained evil, a wickedness that has not been seen before in its measure. There's always been wickedness from the fall of man, but there will be a manifestation of wickedness of sin that has not been seen on a global scale uh, as has been before. It is inspired, it is inspired by the devil and his host, and he has a strategy. The stratagem is a plan or a scheme, especially used to outwit the opponent to achieve an end. Last week we note in the scripture that the devil knows that his time is short. And he knows that we are in the last of the last days. And Jesus himself told us that it would be a period of time 
like no other. There would never be another time like this time. It has never been this way. In Matthew 24, 21, Jesus says there will be a great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. There will be a period of time that has not been seen before on planet earth. We know that this is referring to the end because in verse 29 he says immediately after that period, the word immediately is used and the Greek word there is used extensively in the Gospels. For example, when the Lord prayed and touched the leper, it says immediately the leprosy left him. Or the woman with fever, when he prayed, it says immediately the fever left her. Or the blind man, when he opened his eyes, immediately he was healed. The word immediately means immediately, straight away, straight after. After this period of time upon the earth, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun shall be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, the stars shall fall from heaven, the powers of heaven shall be shaken, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, for they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And He shall send His angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together His elect from the four winds from one end of the heaven unto the other. And so we're going to see a period of time on the earth. The Lord says it's a time that has not been seen before. And immediately after that time, then there is the coming of the Lord. He says in verse 12 of Matthew chapter 24, that what happens in that period of time, because the disciples are inquiring concerning the last days and the end of the world and the coming of the Lord, he says, the Lord says, iniquity shall abound. There will be a wickedness that will increase in the last days. It is true. There's always been sin from when Adam and Eve fell. It is true. There's always been wickedness. It is true that there's always been all manners of evil. But what the Lord tells us is that there'll be an increase of that wickedness that we have not seen before. I want to put it to you this morning, I believe this, that we have entered into that time. We have seen wickedness like we have not seen before on the scale of what is happening. You see that the Lord then points us to previous judgments of God. He points us back in to the history of God to reveal to us the times in which we are living. He points us to previous civilizations as indicators or signs of His coming and His subsequent judgment or wrath. In Luke chapter 17, if you want to follow it, verse 26, Luke chapter 17 and verse 26, I just want to take us through this very carefully this morning. Luke 17 and 26, Jesus says, And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. He says in verse 28, 
of the same chapter, likewise also as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built it. He's pointing us back to previous civilizations that experienced the judgment of God and what they were like. Now, if you turn over into Genesis chapter 6 for a moment, remember the days of Noah and also the days of Lot. In Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, I want you to see this this morning because it's important to the messages that we are bringing. In Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, it says that the Lord God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. So when the Lord is referring to the days of Noah, He's bringing to us the understanding that there's such an increase of wickedness that brings the judgment of God upon the earth. He tells us here that the imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. What a wicked day that Noah was living in by faith, knowing the wrath and the judgment of God. He built the ark to the saving of his family. If you look into Genesis chapter 13 and verse 13, these are what the Lord points us to concerning the coming, the second coming of the Lord. In Genesis 13 and 13, telling us of the city of Sodom, but the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord. What does it say? Exceedingly. There was such a rise of wickedness. The cup of iniquity was full and that provoked God to bring His justice and His judgment upon the earth. And it is in this context that the Lord instructs us, these, this is the primary indicator of the days in which we are living, the rise of iniquity. It, it, it is, corresponds, of course, with the teachings of Paul to the church, 2 Thessalonians, when he says that there is a mystery of iniquity that is working. But then he speaks of he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. There is a lifting of the restraint, the only thing that holds back the forces of darkness, the power of darkness and hell is the righteousness and the light of God. There is nothing else on this planet. There is no military machine. There is no government that can hold back the powers of darkness. There is only one today, and that is Jesus Christ. He is the only one, is God Almighty, who is above all principalities and all powers. The Apostle John writes of two beasts in Revelation chapter 13, and what he says is that they just do not appear. He doesn't say that they just appear. He says that they rise up out of the sea and they come up out of the earth. These are antichrists to the very core. In other words, there is a rising up. It corresponds with the increase of wickedness, of the, of the evil increasing in the last days, that there is a rise of wickedness that we are now living in today. Some would say, of course, well, there's always been sin. There's always been wickedness. Although this nullifies the sense of urgency that we are living in, or the imminence, someone prayed it this morning, the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord, if He was here, I believe would simply again repeat the word that He had told us throughout the Gospels. 
Be watchful. Be ready. Be not deceived. That is the teachings of Christ concerning His coming. That we're to be ready. That we're to be watchful. That we're to have our lamps trimmed and oil in our lamps because He's coming again. And so we see that there is so many today within the broader context of the church are completely asleep to the day actually that we are living in. Many years ago, just at the back end of the Troubles in the early 90s, when I wasn't saved, but I remember standing just with a bunch of friends. We used to hang about the garage there over at Beaver and Milltown, and there was a whole team of us, and there were sort of two groups sort of tied into different associations, I would just say it that way. But there was one particular individual that he used to stand and say, you know, I, I, he was a sleeper. And I used to look at him and say, what do you, what, what, what do you mean a sleeper? He says, well, you know, the organizations know that I'm part of it, but I'm sleeping at the minute, but I'll waken up when they need me. He never woke up. Because there's many today that are sleeping and not awakened to the hour in which we're living. The church is asleep to the day that what we've come to. It is like Lot in Genesis chapter 19 when he burst through the doors to his sons-in-law, and I believe he burst through the doors. The Bible doesn't say that, but it was so urgent that the judgment that was coming, that he burst through the doors. And he said to his son-in-laws of the judgment to come, but you know what it says? But he seemed as one that mocked unto his son-in-laws. People find it funny. They think you're joking. They think it a light thing that the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. They think it's something to mock. That's even in the church of Jesus Christ. People mock the coming of the Lord. They mock the judgment of God. They mock that Christ could come at any moment. With this in mind, the spiritual conflict will be in the last of the last days. As we enter into that final period of time before the Lord's return, we are going to see, we are seeing an intense spiritual battle. I want you to hear this this morning because it's so important that we understand the battle that we're in, that we're fighting the right fight, that we're fighting the good fight, and we're not being drawn in to what Paul says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We are seeing an increase, and I, I, I know we're familiar with this, but I want you to hear it very clearly this morning. We are seeing an increase in wickedness and depravity that we have not seen in the scale of what it is happening. We are nearly numb to the daily influx of the ideologies of hell itself because we hear it so common. The one that's hot on the press at the moment, of course, is the gender debate. That a boy is a boy and a girl is a girl, but that is no longer the case. Have you ever imagined a day that we would come to where the very basics of the knowledge of a man is a man and a woman is a woman would even be questioned or allowed to be questioned. This is being taught in our schools. Brother Brand shared with me last week of a teacher locally 
in this country teaching a class about this gender-neutral business. And the young boy's from a farming background, and he put his hand up in the class and said, Miss, Miss, I just want to tell you something. That when my dad brings forth a calf from a cow, he'll just know whether it's a bull. And the woman mocked him, and she was furious that the young boy would simply know the difference between a bull and a cow. I don't know all the terms because I'm from Beaver. (laughs) You keep me right, all you farmers now. It's ridiculous. That's where we're reduced to. Do you know what? That young people believe this stuff. Young people actually believe this stuff. I know I'm in a different generation, from a different time, from a different world probably for many people, but actually the youth of today believe this. And so the rise of the gender debate, the wickedness, the rise of homosexuality, militant homosexuality, well, there's always been homosexuality, but I want to tell you, friends, there's never been a time globally, globally, where there's been a rise of homosexuality and a militant spirit that's behind it. Never been a time like this. And then we have the murder of the innocent. Did anyone see this week that young baby star so brutally neglected and abused by that lesbian couple? The picture of her little face all bruised and battered five times reported to the social care. Yet this little baby has lost its life. Can I tell you something? We're shocked and horrified at the wickedness of man and woman that would do to the innocent. But can I tell you something? That in the year 2020, there was it is the highest number of abortions that has ever taken place in England and Wales. 210,000 babies were murdered in the womb by men and women who are our national health service, who were to applaud and lift up. I thank God for those that care and have the heart to work in that service and are believers. There are many. We thank God for them. But I want to tell you, friends, I'm not clapping. I will not clap a system. I will not clap a system that murders the innocent. 210,000 babies. That's 23 babies every hour by doctors and nurses murdering the innocent in the womb. Our land is now, of course, being taken over. In 2019, and I don't want to go into the politics of it, but in 2019, there was a particular woman, I believe she is Jezebel, a Labour MP that birthed this uh, motion to bring in abortion into Northern Ireland above the heads and above the people and the wishes of the people of Northern Ireland. But at that time, our MPs sat on their hands and they could have brought that government down, brothers and sisters, but they sat on their hands. We can sit in our groups We can sit in our prayer groups in government. We can sit in all the different lobbying groups and say that we're pro-life. But I want to tell you something. 
Brothers and sisters, this morning, the day that that bill was going to be entered in and brought and breathed about in Westminster, our politicians should have walked out of the place and pulled the whole thing down behind them. The depravity is sinking deeper. I mentioned it last week that the internet is responsible for, there are 1.3 million pornographic websites on the known web, and then there's the dark web that has infiltrated our whole nation. It has infiltrated the church of Jesus Christ. It is the sin that's not talked about. It is not mentioned because the enemy works in darkness, destroying men and women. And it is a destructive tool. It will ruin. It will ruin your mind. It will ruin your marriage. It will ruin your home. And it has done and it will do. The depravity of man is sinking deeper and deeper and deeper into unimaginable sins. Some things we couldn't even mention this morning of what is happening. And then we have the explosion of people who are struggling with their mental health. We have the rise of suicide coupled with self-harm. And those hospitals are absolutely full. People do not know where to turn to, who to turn to, tormented by wickedness, tormented by thoughts. Brothers and sisters, this is the battle that we are in. For us to think that it's always been this way, I want to tell you, friends, it has never been this way to this scale. Coupled with that is the increase of knowledge that Daniel speaks of. You know, they are spout, when I hear them saying that they're so concerned about the hospitals and they've just spent 10 billion pounds to send a telescope to the edge of the galaxy because they want to look as far back as they possibly can to see the first stars that were birthed that caused the Big Bang, a 6.5 mer. And when they get that thing away up there, $10 billion, when they get that thing up there and they get it right to the edge of the galaxies and they try to point it back because the speed of light travels at this and it takes the light so far, to, so they think they can look away, way, 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 way back and see the beginning of time. And when they get there... Do you know what they're going to see? And he made the stars also. And I could have given them that for a fiver. <laughs> Maybe a bit more, but like, you know, you know me. <laughs> but then they tell us they're concerned about our hospitals. Then they tell us that they, they're looking for money for this, that. Friends, I don't believe a word of it. And they're increasing with knowledge. They're getting into things. They're tampering with things in labs. They're tampering with the very core of humanity and the creation of God. They're, they're, they're getting into... Listen, the Tower of Babel is just a picnic to this. They're getting into areas of knowledge. And we thank God for many of the things that we're not going around in donkeys. A hundred years ago, we're still on horseback. We've got cars. We've got all the advancement of these days. We thank God for the things that we use for, for the betterment of humanity and, and the advancement of medicine. And, you know, people think, well, what do you want to live in? Well, I don't want to tell you, to be honest with you, when I look at it all, 
What influences me more than anything is the picture of Bishnu at the end of a dusty road and going into the mountains with the gospel. And that's what conditions me for the church, not what's happening over in America or the Western church, but a man with the gospel going into the mountains to preach the gospel to every creature. May that condition our mind of what is the church. And so we see the wickedness. I read a report last week. I believe it to be true. I believe it's conservative. It says that 80% of pastors and ministers have said that they want out. They can't take it anymore. I believe that's conservative. The intensity on the church and men of God, the intensity against the Christian family, the intensity against men to be men. Men, be men. Be men of God. Stand up for Jesus. Be a man in your home. Be the man that God's called you to be. Not seen as chauvinistic. I want to tell you it's God's order. Be a man. But be a man for Jesus. And in all of this, we see the departure from the faith. The great apostasy that will take place. We are told of it. And in all of this, do you know that this is the greatest battle of the day? But the tragedy is, friends, listen, this is the tragedy that the church is largely, not exclusively, but largely asleep. Asleep. we got to know what we're facing. I don't want it to be a negative message that might come across, but I really don't want it to be, but we got to know what we face. That's what Paul is saying. He said, finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. We can stand in this day, saints. Put on the whole armor of God that you can stand against the wiles. That word wiles is the Greek word methodia, the methodology of Satan. You're able to stand against the powers and the strategies and the wiles of Satan. Why? Because we are great. No, because He that is in us is greater. For we are not wrestling, but we are wrestling, but we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. This is so important. But we are against principalities. We are against powers. We are against the rulers of darkness of this world. We are against wickedness in high places. We are against some things. What is the church against? When we look at the church, what is it up against? What does it stand against? What does the church stand for? What do you stand for? What do you believe? What's your conviction? I believe this, and I, I heard this last night, but I do believe this, that what is happening today is there is a sifting in the church of Jesus Christ. There's no gray area. There's no middle road anymore. There's no just taking the boxes and just going through religious activity. That's all changing. You're either for God and you're going to stand or you're not. That's where we're going, friends. There is a sifting in the church today. Paul says we're wrestling. The church of Jesus Christ, enabled by the power of the Holy Spirit, has always stood and will always stand. The true church will stand. It has always stood in the face of the most awful regimes and systems throughout all of history. 
times of great peril, times of great persecution, times when they were, were up against the most greatest systems and empires of the world from the Roman Empire right back at the beginning of the first century, right through the end of the Roman Catholic Church in the Middle Ages, it stood up. Sometimes there was only one, but it stood. If God be for us, who can be against us? When men get a hold of God and God gets a hold of men, men stand up for God. The Bible tells us here in Ephesians chapter 6 that we're able to stand in verse 11. In verse 13, it says that we can withstand in the evil day. And having done all, what does it say? To stand. And then verse 14 says, stand therefore. God's wanting the church to stand up. Not lie down. Not hide. Not lock the doors. But stand up for Jesus. He says six times and uses the word against in these few verses. Six times. Five are in relation to what we are against and one in relation to what we're not against. For we wrestle not, verse 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That is the natural realm. That is the realm. I want you to come with me. I know just come with me this morning for a moment. We wrestle not against the flesh and blood. That is the realm of the natural. Could I put it to you this morning that most of the activity of the church, particularly I can only speak in the north here, most of the activity of the church is against that which is the natural. It's engaged in a natural warfare. It's engaged in the flesh and the blood. It's engaged in that which is the natural. You note that Paul didn't mention he was under the greatest empire of that time, the Roman Empire. You know that he made no mention of the Roman Empire. And yet he suffered at their hands, imprisonment, and everything else. But he said nothing in this when he was saying, finally, brethren, this is what you're against. He did not say that you're against the political system of that day. He didn't mention the emperors or the Caesar or whatever. He didn't mention anything about the imprisonment. Or I know in other letters he did, but not of what he had suffered at their hands or what we're to do about them. He didn't mention the Pharisees or the zealots that were against him and persecuted him and left him for dead. He didn't mention any of that. He brought us into a realm in the spirit of what we are against. 90% I believe, and that's just my belief, of the modern church's activity is in, particularly in the West, is in the realm of the natural. Makes no impact on the kingdom and the powers of darkness. Makes no impact against the demonic forces. Makes no impact against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and spiritual wickedness in high place. Because most of it is in the realms of the natural, the flesh and the blood. If we could see for a moment this spiritual war, it is remarkable what happens in the heavenlies. If God could get us out of the natural realm, you know we're all in the natural. 
He's going to get us into a place where we can see in the spiritual realm. You know, I had reason, I had reason, the boys are listening, I had reason to go to Belfast last Saturday to get a few things. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm the big man. You know what I'm saying? He's coming soon. It's me, by the way. They know now anyway. <laughs> but I went into that town and it's happened to be the same day that the big protest was on. I've been to a lot of protests in my day. A lot of protests. Too many to mention. I've been to a lot. And some of you have been to many of them as well. I'm not trying to look at anybody in particular. And I understand where people are. I, I believe the world, there's many in the world that are going, something's not right. And so they're responding to that, but they're responding to that in the natural. Because they don't have the hope that we have. So they, they need to do something. I understand that. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? I understand. I understand that there's people saying, there's something's wrong. What do I do? There's a protest at the city hall. I'm going to the city hall. I was me every week. Charlie Hockey protest. I was there. Front row. I was there. Outside the Europa. Gone nuts. Rewritten the orange order. I was there. Standing in the village. Standing on top of meat wagons. Shouting. Screaming. The spirit of the age had gripped me and I was fighting this fight. But it was a natural fight. And I walked around. I seen the crowd. And I stopped. You know what I sensed immediately? The same spirit of all those other protests just got a hold of my heart for a moment. And I knew if I had went in onto that there and been pulled into that, I'd have probably been on top of a police wagon. <laughs> I'm not joking you because there's a natural part of me that's, that's you may not know, is slightly passionate. But if it's not sanctified, I'll, I would end up fighting with the world. Many a young man out of this nation is caught up in that spirit and spent years in the maze in Magabre. And they didn't know what they were fighting for. I stopped for a moment and I just distanced myself wisely. Here's her pastor. What's he doing? What's he doing to have a police car? There's a spirit to that, Richard. Oh, there's a spirit to it. There's a natural part of this that, especially I believe in our psychic. Do you understand what I'm saying? Maybe it's just me. Okay. You're all sitting there going, we don't know what you're talking about, Pat. There's a psychic in us. And that man that wants to fight for something. I want to tell you there is a cause and there is a fight. But it's a fight of faith. It's the souls of men. That old man, at the age of 83, the last message he gave, I believe, William Booth, he says, while there's one drunk lying on the street, I'll fight. I'll fight for souls. I'll fight for that last prostitute. I'll fight for her. That's what I'll fight for. If we could see the realm that is happening in the heavenlies right now, if God could enable us to see it, 
if God could pull the scales from our eyes and lift us out of ourselves. Do you understand? We need to be lifted out of ourselves. We're seeing it all. We're being bombarded with 24-hour news. We're getting all the things and all the things are pumped out and all the statements and there's a new statement and there's a new this and there's a new that and there's a press conference and they're going to say this and they're going to do that and we're being drawn into the natural but there's another war. If we could see like the young servant of the prophet that's standing in all the the forces of darkness have surrounded them and they're coming to get their prophet and the young fella saying, we're not going to do very well. Prophet, what do you think? And he says, Lord, would you open his eyes? And when the young prophet, when the young servant got his eyes opened, he seen the chariots of heaven that God was for them. If we could see if we could truly see that we as believers are seated with Christ in heavenly places. The Bible says when Christ was raised from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, by the grace of God we're saved and he's raised us up together that we might sit with him in heavenly places. We're seated this morning with Jesus in the heavenly realm. What a place to be. Do you see it? If we could see the ability that we have in Christ, as Paul said, I can do all things through Christ. That strengthens me. If we could see that the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but to us that are saved, it's the power of God on the salvation. If we could see it, if we could see that the blood has never lost any of His ancient power because we overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb, and the word of our testimony, and we love that our lives on the death. Can you see the blood? If we could see the power of the Holy Ghost. When Jesus said, I'll send the promise of my Father unto you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem. And I love this word until you be endued, endued with the power from on high. You know what word endued means? in the sense of sinking into a garment. That's what it means to fall into a garment when the mantle fell on Elisha. It's the garment of Christ. It's the garment of salvation. It's the garments that God gives us. We can be empowered by the Holy Ghost. If we could see what it is to pray in the Spirit and to know what the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man if the church really get into a place to do business with God, the effectual fervent prayer, if we could see this this morning, then I believe that the church must begin to walk. And what Daniel says, that they that know their God shall be strong. And you know, we'll see exploits. If we could see it this morning, then we'll enter into a time of the exceeding and abundantly great things that God has for us, the miracles of God. We'd not be engaged in the natural, but in the spiritual. David said these words, For by thee I've run through a troop, and by my God I've leaped over a wall. I mean, we'd run through troop. We've done it in the natural, but I'm talking in the spiritual. To run through troops and leap over walls. We teach that to the kids. We can run through troops and leap over walls. There's God in us. God's for us. And the church should stand up and speak up. The church needs to wake up. You see, the natural realm, and this is where we are. I looked at that picture and I sat and looked at it and looked at it 
and looked at it. And I magnified it up and I looked into Bishnu's eyes. And I pulled it back out again and I looked at it. And I looked at it. And I says, my God. What have we become? What have we become? As I looked into that eye and looked at that road behind them, we're so conditioned by another sense of what church is supposed to be. We're conditioned, I'm not against it all, I know the great friends, we're conditioned by an American thought and conditioned by what, and friends, that's not it. It's not it. Most of what has become today, and I know I get in trouble by some, but they're entertainment hubs for a lukewarm church. Keep us happy. Waiting rooms for heaven. But I look at Bishnu with a backpack on, going up into the midst of those mountains and saying, I'm going to encourage that wee church up there because their pastor's in prison for two years. Then I look at the CCM and all the stuff and I go, my God, where are we? Actually, God have mercy. We're bombarded with distractions. And when we return again to the Word of God in the early church, we see that they did not have much in the outward and did not look like much in the outward, but they sure did know how to pray. You know, there's a difference between, and I believe this is going to start becoming a reality, there's a difference between attending church and assembling yourselves together. I attend the dentist. I really don't want to be there. Anyone else share that with me? Praise the Lord. Only a few left, but they want to work on them as well. I attend the doctors, not Dr. Carl, of course. I'm sure it would have been great to go to Dr. Carl. But I certainly don't want... I mean, men avoid the doctors, don't we? I attend an MOT appointment. I just cry the whole way through it. But see, when I come here, I assemble. See, I don't attend New Testament Pentecostal church. I assemble myself together with other believers. There's a difference between the assembly and attending. Most of Northern Ireland attend. That's why when this thing all kicked off, that they didn't bother. That's simply it. That's why. Because they didn't bother. Why? Because it's somewhere they attend. But there's something completely different when we assemble together. Our lives are bombarded, aren't they? With the distractions to lure us into the natural. The realms of darkness will be closing in a few moments, but the realms of darkness are so intense today the battle's on. The natural faces that we see, it's important to know that my enemy is not the people that stand on the television screens. The people are going to get engaged with them. They're my enemy. Those politicians, they're not my enemy. No matter which one it is, and no matter which party it is, they're not my enemy. There is a spirit there are spiritual forces 
What does Paul say? Would you go back to it for a moment? In Ephesians chapter 6, he says, we are against principalities, against powers. We'll look at it in detail in the weeks ahead. Against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. So what the enemy wants to do is distract us into the natural realm. Um, listen, I'm not putting it all down. I'm just saying to you, the enemy wants us into a natural battle. A natural fight. And we're so easily distracted into that. He's so, he's so clever. He's so subtle. Get the church into this natural fight. I know what will happen. I'll divide the church. What has he done? He's got the church into the natural battle and he's divided it. Is that true? Is the church divided or is it together? Is everyone standing, singing off the same hymn sheet, metaphorically saying, it's so divided, it's divided even within churches. Because we've been driven into the natural realm. What would it be if we give ourselves to the spiritual values in the early church? What do you think the impact would be? You see, that's when Paul says, for though we walk in the flesh, what did he say? We do not war after the flesh. Then he says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. I mean, look at the weapons that Christ through the cross has given to the church. But if we're warring after the flesh, then we can't pull the strongholds down. It works the other way as well. We might say the words, we might repeat it over and over, but if we're in the flesh, we can't pull the strongholds of hell down. And oh, friends, I tell you, I believe it's the case of every one of us in this room. We want to see those strongholds broken. In Ephesians 6 and 12, 11, sorry, he says that we're to put on the whole armor of God. The whole armor of God. That we might stand against the methodology or the wiles of the devil. That word simply means in the original, the method and the settled plan by cunning arts, deceit and craft and trickery that the devil has against you. That we need to stand against that. But you know, many today don't even know in the church what it means to put on the full armor of God. Someone was to ask you a question. Could you just help me here? I'm just in Ephesians 6, and I want to ask you a question. When Paul says, put on the whole armor of God, how do you do that? How do you put the whole armor of God on? I'd think, I would think this morning there'd be an array of answers, ideas and thoughts about what it is to put the whole armor of God on. Do you know, I believe that the whole armor of God is to put on Christ. That's what it is. But how do you put Christ on? Well, I'm saved. He's in my heart, so I know. But what does it mean when Paul says, of course he knows you're saved. He's writing to the church. What does it actually mean to put on the whole armor of God? Many believe it's a passive mental ascent or we just say something and it all happens. How do you put on the whole armor of God to stand against the wild? Surely we want to know how to put it on. If the enemy's attacking on every front, attacking our families, attacking our homes, attacking the order of God, attacking our men, attacking our women, attacking our children, 
The intensity and the bow that's against the church of Jesus Christ like never before and the depravity of man and all the principles. How do you put on? How do you fight this fight, this warfare that we're in? How do you actually put the armor on? That's what Paul says. Put the armor on. You can never put the armor on. You can never put Christ on until you first put off. Most are trying to put something on. In the first place, they need to put something off. This is biblical. This is the, this is the scripture. You must put the things off. That would hinder David was standing in that battlefield and they put Saul's armor on him and he said, it's not been proved. I can't go out in the armor. I can't fight this in the flesh. And he put it off. But he went out in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and he defeated the giant. There has to be a booting off. We need to boot it off, friends. What is that? What's the booting off? Boot off what? We need to boot off the flesh. We can never fight this fight in the flesh. We can't war after the flesh. What is the flesh? Well, the flesh, we are told in Galatians, there's many manifestations of the flesh. We're to mortify the deeds of the flesh. We're to boot off the flesh. We're to deal with the flesh. But the church, particularly in the West, is so fleshy. It's so fleshy. And we actually like the flesh. Feed the flesh. Keep the flesh happy. Appease the flesh. But Paul says, put the flesh off, but put on Christ. What are these examples? Friends, there's never been a day where the church is so filled with unforgiveness like today. No way we're so weak and so powerless. Because the church is filled with unforgiveness. Paul writes, and I believe it's Paul in Hebrews 12, just follow peace with all men and holiness without no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail. A man can feel of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and there many are defiled. What unforgiveness leads into bitterness. Church is crippled with bitterness. And then we're going to fight the devil. Then we're going to fight principalities and powers, and we're sitting with unforgiveness in our heart in the church. I know, I know, friends, it's Christmas time and maybe a different message. We're hoping for a different message, but I, I tell you, we're in a battle. I believe the intensity is going to increase. I believe we're entering into a year. We need to be ready for war. And I believe that the church needs to pray. I know what it is to pray through, but how can we do it with bitterness in our hearts? Oh, such and such done that 25 years ago. And, you know, I just, really? Know what it says here? It says that there are many troubled. The bitterness springing up troubles. You people are sitting troubled. It's not because of the devil. I know that that gives place for the devil to function. But it's not because of the devil. It's because you will not submit yourself to God and ask for forgiveness and, and show forgiveness. And so now there's a bitterness in your heart. And we're saying, we're going to stand up against the powers of hell and darkness. And the devil laughs. And many are troubled. Many are defiled. Because there's a root within them and it goes right down into the core of your spiritual being and it spreads out and it troubles you and it defiles you. We're saying, Paul saying, put on the whole armor. You can't put that armor on until you deal with that and put that off. I'm not going to go through all the lists of the flesh, but some 
How can we go out, friends, into the battlefield with an untamed tongue? There's many tongues in the church today. Or do you believe in speaking in tongues? We believe in speaking in tongues. But I want to tell you, even the traditional churches believe in speaking of tongues. It's just not the Holy Ghost tongues. James calls it an, an unruly evil and is full of deadly poison. That Did you hear what James said? Do you know we're our own worst enemies sometimes? We talk death over ourselves. We talk to ourselves. Maybe someone's sitting last night and they're just giving it the whole message and we talk death, end to everything, and then we come into church. I didn't get anything out of that this morning. No wonder! He's saying it's an unruly evil. It's full of deadly poison. Bitter and envying and strife in your heart's glory not. Don't lie against the truth. For where envy and strife is, there's confusion and every evil work. I mean, this is, this is, this is it, friends. This is the real, this is the rubber hitting the road for us all. Oh, we want to see revival. We want to see a move of God. We want to see the Holy Ghost poured out. And you can't control your tongue. And it's full of deadly poison. You're pouring it into the body of Christ. And then we wonder why it's so defeated and so empty and so dead. Paul writes in Ephesians, saying, Put away lying. Let every man speak truth to his neighbor. Be angry. Do not sin. Don't let the sun go down in your wrath. And then he said, Don't give place to the devil. No, what happens then? We give place to the devil. We want to talk about spiritual warfare. I'd love to just preach on, ignore it all, and just get to the end and shout victory and everyone go, Praise the Lord! We're on the way home. But if we really want to enter into the battle that's coming, and see great victories in our families, in our homes, and in our nation. And I believe we do. Then we've got to put some things off. We've got to put it off. We've got to put the pride off. Because it brings contention. Oh, listen, brother, I'm submitted to God. Resist the devil. I'm walking in the victory. What it means to be submitted to God. It also means to be submitted to God's authority. It also means to be submitted to godly authority. Pride comes, so does contention. The church is filled with contention. But when we get down on our faces, when we get before the Lord with weeping, when we get between the porch and the altar and we begin to call out to God, I believe there's a cloak that comes down by the Holy Ghost and lands upon the church and it rises up not in its strength or in its power, but in the power of Jesus. The methods of Satan are to take every believer out by some means or some way to so discourage your soul, to so weigh you down, to so bring so much confusion, so much brokenness, so much hurt, whatever way he can possibly do it, he's going to do it because there's been a restraint that's been lifted and all hell. Listen, I don't say this to over market. I'm telling you that to be the truth. 
All of hell is being unleashed because the devil knows his time is short. Sometimes I'll be very honest and say to you, I go, Lord, I wonder, am I really on the right track? And I get before the Lord and he's given me these messages and I say, Lord, and then someone, somehow, or someone, another, I begin to hear other men of God and not that I'm them or anything like that. I'm nothing but men so much more I couldn't tie their laces and I hear and then they're preaching the same thing. And I don't say that. Oh, that's great, Tim. You I want to tell you the battle to seek the Lord, to bring the word, the discipline, the time, all of that's important to hear what God's saying. But all I know is that this is not a unique thing to New Testament. We are not it. We are part of a remnant, and I use that word in a very measured way, of a church that's hearing the voice of God, that we are entering into a battle, but it's a battle we can stand in. But we got to boot some things off. But praise the Lord, He doesn't leave us naked. He wants to boot Christ on. We are stand and we'll believe the Lord together. Friends, we're in a battle. It's a good fight. It's a good fight. But let's get in the battle the way God wants us in the battle. Let's stand together this morning.